So many of you know that uh, what Tuesday night, what's going to happen on Tuesday night, um, you know what that's called. It's, um, it's called uh, All Hallows Eve. And uh, All Hallows means Saints Day. So Wednesday is, is All Saints Day and has been for thousands of years. And then the night before that began to be known as All Hallows Eve. And if you say that with a Cockney accent fast enough, you get Halloween, which is where that comes from. And on the night of Halloween, exactly 500 years ago, something very important happened. Maybe the most important event in the uh, history of Western civilization, um, at least since that time. And that was this uh, professor at a little college uh, in Wittenberg uh, went up to the door of the uh, cathedral church and nailed um, these little, this little set of things he wanted to debate, um, the 95 Theses. And uh, of course, his name is Martin Luther. And his 500th anniversary of uh, the, the, the beginning of the uh, Protestant Reformation is on, is on Tuesday. And so, um, of course, the center of the whole thing was that Luther believed that you are not saved by your works. Uh, you're not saved by your faith and your works. Uh, you're saved only by your faith. And that Jesus does all the work. And you do none of the work. And so it's called justification by faith alone. And that's the heart of the Reformation. And I would encourage you to, um, to get um, a book. Um, there's a great one by a writer named uh, Eric Metaxas, a biography of Luther. It's just come out. Same guy who wrote a great biography of Bonhoeffer. Uh, I would encourage you to get a book about Luther, maybe not that one, or read something on the Internet about Luther. But um, it's worth celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So um, now I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 60, and we're, we're getting near the end of Isaiah now, moving to the very end, um, and um, I really wanted to look at this, this beautiful passage uh, about the glory of God shining um, suddenly, like, break, like the break of day upon all the nations. And uh, the, uh, the southern humorist uh, Mark Twain once said that the two most important moments in a person's life are the day they were born and the day they find out when, why they're born. And I think that a lot of people don't know that second day. Um, they don't really know why they are born. They don't know what they're doing here. Um, someone was telling me last week that uh, they always wanted a great project for their lives. They always wanted something bold and grand. Those were the very words they used. And because of that, it, it made this person very restless and very competitive, always looking for that great project, that bold plan. And um, the person said, quote, even when I won or achieved the thing I wanted, it never delivered, and I always wanted more. And then uh, they referenced a song by the Avid Brothers called Ill With Want, which I looked up, and um, I think this is partly what they were getting at. The Avid brothers say, I am sick with wanting every day worse than the one before. The more I have, the more I think. I'm almost where I need to be if I could only get a little more. And then this past summer, that same person heard another song. And um, based on that song, they figured out finally, I think, why they were here. Um, At least that's what they said. And that song was a song that somebody led here. I don't remember who led this, but... uh, The lyrics go, give me one pure and holy passion, one magnificent obsession, one glorious ambition to know and follow you. The world is empty, pale, and poor compared to knowing you, my Lord. And that's really the very first question of the uh, Westminster 
shorter catechism, which was written for children. The first question is, um, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's what this passage is really about. It's about why we're here. It's about um, what we were born to do. And that is to, to glorify God. To, um, to take in his glory, kind of like a mirror does, and then reflect it back out. And um, I want to look at that first, what, what that looks like, reflecting God's glory. And then the second part, which is very important, which is that by doing that, we then bless a world that doesn't have glory, that uh, naturally does not shine with the glory of God. So those two things. I want to talk about reflecting God's glory and then the way that reflection of his glory brings blessings and wealth to this world. So first of all, you need to know the context of Isaiah. We looked at this last week. But uh, Isaiah 59 is a a kind of a frightening passage. And we saw that uh, Israel was in a very dark uh, place, a very scary place. In Isaiah 59, 10, Isaiah wrote, We hope for light and behold darkness. We hope for brightness, but we walk in gloom. And not only that, but in this passage, we see that Isaiah knows the future is going to get even darker. So in verse 2... He is looking to a day where darkness will cover the earth and thick darkness the people. So clearly he has no hope here in progress, which is a very modern idea that um, improving the justice system or the educational system or getting jobs back is going to um, lead us forward into glory. Isaiah has no illusions about that. Uh, He says that In that day, darkness will cover the earth and thick darkness the people. He's talking about a future day when things are going to get worse. They're going to get bleaker. So he doesn't have that hope in progress. But he does have hope still because there's this sudden uh, break of light uh, in verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And I get to drive every morning... um, to uh, the top of Sunset Avenue where I live, and then uh, across Academy. And when you get up on that hill, you can look over um, onto downtown Winston-Salem, the skyline. And a lot of times, I'm there at just the right hour of the day, where suddenly the, uh, there's, the day breaks over the city. And it's, it's a glorious thing to see, that, um, that dome, of, especially on a really beautiful sunrise, that dome of shimmering fires kind of like hovering over the buildings. And that's what Isaiah is seeing break over Jerusalem. Uh, But it's not just the light of the sun. It's uh, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Verse 2, the Lord will arise upon you. In that dark day, when it's the darkest, suddenly the glory of God will shine upon you. That's his promise to Israel. And of course, we know that that glory, the glory of God, does not have a specific wavelength. It doesn't have uh, a certain mass. It doesn't have a certain density. It's not a physical thing that you can put in a test tube and uh, analyze. But on rare occasions, the glory of God does make a visible appearance in the Bible. And so on Mount Sinai, God's glory appears to the physical senses of his people. Exodus 24, 17, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. It's the same fire that was what Moses saw in the burning bush. And then uh, when Solomon sets up his new temple 
In 1 Kings 8, 11, the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And then in, in Babylon, when Ezekiel was in Babylon in exile, and the temple had been destroyed, he also saw the glory of the Lord. In Ezekiel one twenty eight, the prophet writes, There was brightness around the Lord, like a rainbow on a cloudy day. Such was the appearance of the glory of the Lord. And in Moses' case, uh, when he went up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, not only did he experience the glory of the Lord for 40 days, but he then came back down into the people of Israel. And it says that in Exodus 34, 29, when he came back down, the skin of his face shone because he had been talking to God. And so not only can we see glory, but apparently it can reflect off of us. It can shine on our face. And, of course, glory is rarely visible like that. I'm sure that you and I have never seen anyone that looked like Moses with his face shining in that way. And yet Isaiah says in verse 2 that somehow uh, everyone, all of God's uh, believing children, can reflect the glory of God in some way. His glory will be seen upon you, verse 2. His glory will be seen upon you. Now, obviously, that's not physically like Moses, but there is another way that people can see the glory of God, like you, uh, like a mirror bouncing off of you, bouncing off of your face. When um, the angel Gabriel talked to Mary um, and told her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah, she sang this famous song called the Magnificat. Um, and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Magnification is the idea of taking a light and making it brighter. And then she uses the the other word, rejoicing. So somehow, by rejoicing is the way you kind of magnify the glory of God. Uh, Isaiah says in verse 5, your heart will thrill and exult. And I think it's when a person's heart is thrilling and exulting about God's glory. That's when you see God on their face. That's when you see the glory of the Lord in them. That's when they're reflecting the glory of God. And I think we've all met people who we would describe as radiant. It's especially striking in someone who's suffered a lot, someone who's very old, and yet you see the radiance in this person. And their faces um, don't physically shine like Moses's, but you still, you know there's something going on inside of them. You know that down inside of them there is some um, exultation and some thrill they get. Uh, not cheap thrills, but thrills that are deep and costly and everlasting. He says in verse 5, you shall see and be radiant. So again and again and again, Isaiah gives us ways of saying there is a way for you, Christian, to glorify God. Where the radiance of God's glory can shine on your face. You can be radiant. Your heart can thrill and exult. Someone was talking to me recently about a girl that he was in love with. And it's very interesting because he did not really talk about her physical beauty. Now, he, he could have. I'm sure if I had asked him about that, he could, have, he could have listed some traits. But what he talked about was how she shined. And he kept using the word angelic. She's angelic. She's just, there's something about her that's angelic. And um, I thought that was a really important word. It's, it's, again, it's not a word that is describing physical features. If you had two different buttons and you could press a beauty button over here or a glory 
button over here. And if you press this button, you would become uh, physically perfect. You know, both your face and your body, uh, everything you hate would go away. You'd be absolutely gorgeous. But if you could press this button, you would look exactly the same, but you would shine with God's glory. Which one would you push? You know, which do you want more? Do you want the glory of God or do you want your own shining coming from within you? Or your talent or your intelligence or whatever it is, do you want that to shine or do you want to shine where you're self-forgetful? You don't really care what you look like, but you want people to see God and God's glory. There are people who chase um, the sun, literally. My brother went down to Greenville um, and made that crazy drive um, to see the totality, you know, the total eclipse. I mean, we got 90-something percent here, um, but he said 90-whatever percent is nothing compared to the totality. It's like being 90% close to Disney World. That doesn't really give you anything at all. You need to get to Disney World. He said, when we got to Greenville, we didn't just see the light from the sun, we saw the sun for a couple of minutes. We actually saw what the sun looks like, which you never get to see. And he met people that chased these totalities. And he said it changed my life to see this thing. It was so amazing. And so there are people that are very, very wealthy, and they can actually fly to places around the world because the eclipse is happening around the world. You know, it, didn't just, it doesn't just happen once every uh, 100 years. It, it happens all the time around the world. And so these people will chase the glory of the sun. And I think Isaiah would say there's a much easier thing for you to get to, um, but it's a much harder thing to actually accomplish, which is to chase the glory of God and to want to be... Uh, in his presence in such a way that you just reflect him. Like a harvest moon. I don't know if you've seen a harvest moon recently. I don't think there has been one that recently. But those things, when they're on the, um, the horizon and they're just massive, you can't believe how big they are. And they're kind of several shades of orange. And they just reflect the light of the sun. And that's what, I think that's what Isaiah would want you and I to be like. Like the harvest moon. Versus a black hole. You know, the black hole takes all the light around it and sucks it in. Every photon nearby just sucks it in. And therefore consuming more and more and more. And my old boss, uh, who was a pastor, um, used to say there were certain people that were uh, black holes of sucking need, he said. And of course, that's, that's an extreme example. Um, the harvest moon, the black hole. But it, it is true of all of us. We're either kind of living under the sun or in this dim world of, of human glory, like fluorescent lighting, you know, where um, things are just kind of dim because no one is really shining around us with the glory of God. If you've ever seen Blade Runner, um, I'm not going to give away the ending of the, the, the recent Blade Runner. Okay? I'm going to give away the ending of the old Blade Runner. The old Blade Runner is so old that uh, this is not a spoiler. Um, <laughs> 99, and I'm not going to say much about it, but 99% of the old Blade Runner, which is an incredible movie, it's one of the most uh, vivid movies I remember from my childhood. Um, it has such an atmospheric sense of, uh, of a place with no glory in it. It's futuristic L.A., Los Angeles in the future, and um, the vast majority takes place in very dimly lit, smoky alleys uh, with man-made sights and sounds, these huge electric billboards of women speaking with these kind of computerized voices. And then even uh, artificial humans created by this giant corporation. It's very eerie. But then that last scene in the movie, 
is um, amazing where the camera, and actually it was not in the original, but they put it in for the American viewer, and I liked it. But in that last scene, the camera pierces through the clouds of L.A., and all of a sudden there's the sunlight, and there's a mountainscape and a mountain lake, and Harrison Ford and his, uh, his girlfriend drive off into the sunset. And um, just the contrast there between, between man-made glory in that future city of L.A., the best we could do, versus just the simple countryside sunlight from God. God made us in his image. And that word uh, is a similar word to what a mirror is like. The very first thing ever spoken about humans in the Bible is that we are made in the image of God. So that's clearly right at the heart of our um, job description, is to image God. And in the, I just noticed this in the affirmation of faith that we were reading the Ten Commandments. Uh, Do not make any image or likeness of me. Why not? Because no thing that you could ever make, these stained glass windows of Jesus, um, even a cross, nothing, nothing can show someone what God is like, like a human being can. There's nothing any human being could ever make that would show you anything more about God than what a human being can do. That's why we're made in the image of God, and so you don't want to worship anything else as the image of God. And so that's the first point. We are made like gigantic mirrors for God's glory. And if you don't know that, you don't know why you were made. You don't know why you're alive. You don't know why you were born. That's the first point. The second point is that if we are to reflect his glory, then it brings blessings to the world. It brings wealth, in fact, wealth to the world. And uh, one way to put it is to say that it, it, uh, it unleashes something deep down inside the human being uh, that nothing else can quite do. If to, to glorify God will let something out of us uh, that, that no, other, no, other, no other thing can grow it, this, this potential inside of us. So in verse 9, uh, Isaiah says, The coastlands, which would be like the most remote place imaginable, Timbuktu is the way people used to say it when I was a child. The Timbuktus of the world will hope for me. This is God speaking. The ships of Tarshish, even, with their silver and gold. Because, Jerusalem, he has made you beautiful. Because, uh, because my people are going to be glorifying me and reflecting me, Timbuktu and the ships of Tarshish will come and glorify me as well. They will see something so beautiful. They will see the beauty and will come and be drawn. Now the ships of Tarshish are an interesting little nugget in scripture. You should do a search on the ships of Tarshish. I don't even know if that's how you say it. Maybe it's Tarshish, but anyway, they, they are the first in line here coming to Jerusalem and they're drawn by her beauty um, it's kind of like millennials heading to Portland. You know, something about that city that millennials just want to get to Portland. And so the, the ships of Tarshish, or Tarshish there, they are these amazing high-tech, uh, high-speed, um, kind of like a Tesla would be, but with Apple products all over it. This is the way the Israel uh, people thought of the ships of Tarshish. They loved the ships, and they were very fast and exciting and cutting-edge. And so what, what Isaiah is saying here is that that even the finest wealth of the world will come into um, my city on that last day. Because she is shining like a diamond in the sun. She's so radiant. And there's so much trade coming in that she can't even close her gates. That's why the gates can't be closed. 
Because it's like one ship after another in a harbor is just lined up for miles. One tanker after another lined up. Verse 11, your gates shall be opened continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. That the people may bring to you the wealth of the nations. From Timbuktu to Tarshish, all the nations coming in. Gates can never be closed. And the wealth of the nations, the wealth of nations is coming in. Now, you may have heard of that phrase, um, the wealth of nations. This is the uh, first book ever written about economics. Um, A Scottish uh, philosopher, moral philosopher, his name was Adam Smith, wrote the book in 1776. um, And I believe the title of that book may be based on, on this verse, the wealth of nations. And wealth is something that often gets a bad rap. You've got to be very careful about um, the way you talk about wealth. Um, some politicians act like it's immoral to have wealth. And, uh, and wealth is described in the Bible as a good thing, inherently good. The Garden of Eden was filled with wealth. It was a great thing to have wealth. Now, greed uh, is a bad thing, and massive economic inequality is a bad thing. But, but wealth is... A good thing. And Isaiah is clearly excited about the wealth that is coming into Jerusalem. Uh, camels and gold, verse 6. Flocks, verse 7. The glory of Lebanon, verse 13. Uh, cypress trees, cedar trees, oak trees, pine trees. This is the best wood. The best wood you can imagine. All this stuff. These nations are bringing it in. And these are their natural resources. These camels, this gold, flocks. If If there had been diamonds, he would have listed that. Um, Any kind of coffee, tea, sugar, all these things would have been coming in if he had known about these things. And so one part of wealth is just really high-quality natural resources. I don't know if he would have said oil. I'm trying to think. Would he have said oil if he had known? Probably not would have said oil. But anyway, the natural resources, the treasures of creation are coming into uh, the new Jerusalem here. And it's not just that. I think the, the more important form of wealth is the kind that we make because we are made in God's image. And so we can take these natural resources and with the Spirit's creativity, uh, just as God took the world out of chaos and kind of formed the the six days, we are made in his image to do that. And so if you look in verse 6, human beings are mixing up a batch of frankincense. That doesn't just come out of the ground. You've got to work on that. You've got to make that, like a cologne or perfume. Um, In verse 9, the ships of Tarshish... They don't just come out of the ground. You've got to build them. You've got to take wood. You've got to take other materials. You've got to form the ship. Uh, building up the walls in verse 10, that's, again, human construction. The uh, pastor, Tim Keller, says that this is called culture making. And he, he says, quote, it's drawing out all of the enormous potentialities of nature for the flourishing of the world. Sounds into music. Shape and color into art, mud and stones into houses, cotton and wool into clothes. Now think about the way that you create wealth just through whatever you do to manipulate uh, natural things um, and make them into something more desirable, better. Um, any of these things. It could be any of these things. Isaiah is, is seeing every nation, every tribe, people, language bringing their wealth into Jerusalem on this day in the future. Having drawn out the enormous potentialities creation uh, of the natural world, they are they're coming into the glorious city. And uh, this city has uh, the best uh, Belgian beer in it, the 
German cars, the best Italian wine, French pastries, British, British tea. I was about to say iced tea. No, that'd be southern iced tea. Scottish whiskey, Swiss clocks. All these things are in the new city. And, um, you know, some people are kind of Luddites, and they don't think that technology is good. And so they, they would never want there to be cars in heaven. Uh, they would never want there to be um, computers in heaven. But that's rubbish. There's, all that stuff's going to be there. Everything humans have made... All the culture making is going to be in the new creation. All this wealth. And it's not about us. It's about God shining through us. And it's not for us. It's to beautify God's dwelling. Verse 7. All these forms of wealth shall come up with acceptance on my altar. And I will beautify my beautiful house. All the wealth of the nations is coming to make the house of God more beautiful. His dwelling more beautiful. And not only that, it goes on forever. Um, If you've seen the movie Gladiator, uh, Maximus, Russell Crowe says, uh, what we do today echoes throughout eternity. That's a great line to think about the wealth that you make. Everything that you do to create more culture echoes throughout eternity. And Isaiah shows you that. um, Well, actually, Isaiah does not show you that. Isaiah foresaw that. But uh, the, the book of Revelation shows you that. Now, if you were questioning me when I said that there would be computers and cars in heaven, listen to this passage. Don't trust me. Just listen to this. This is Revelation 21, 23 through 26. And it is an amazing passage. Especially when you think about Isaiah 60, link it to this passage and and see if you don't hear echoes. And then then think, how did John make that up? You know, if if he were to make this, if you were going to make up some religion like that? How would you make this up? How would you tie it back to Isaiah? I don't think there's any way you could. Uh, This is what John sees in the future. Revelation 21, 23. uh, The angel showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It's a city. It's a city that is going to come down, having the glory of God and its radiance like a most rare jewel. I mean, this is the same thing that Isaiah is foreseeing in In a very cloudy way, and John is now seeing it a little bit more clearly, but not that clearly. Uh, This city, uh, the glory of God, gives it its light. By its light will the kings of the earth bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut. Again, there's the thing about the trade. Okay, the gates are never shut. The kings of the earth are bringing their glory or wealth into it. Uh, there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. So the glory and the honor of the nations is clearly the same thing as the wealth of nations in Isaiah 60. In other words, everlasting culture making. The wealth that you make every day. And you might be thinking right now, I'm puzzled, like what kind of wealth do I make? And that would be a great thing to ask a person that knows you well. Or ask your small group. Um, just ask somebody, what, tell me, because I don't feel like I'm making any wealth what kind of wealth do I make? What, what do I do to make this creation um, a more blessed place? Um, the wealth created by every person who ever lived will be there echoing throughout eternity. I think that's what John is saying. So the, uh, the abacus, whoever invented that, fireworks, the djembe, Byzantine architecture, Gothic architecture, reggae music, steel drums, this... Mancala, this game, um, African game, uh, Monopoly, Tai Chi, yoga, haikus will be there, sonnets, salsa dancing, the electric slide, I think, will even be there in heaven. But um, part of the point here is that Christianity is not a Western thing. 
I, that first list I gave was all European things, but I don't want you to think that it's a European thing. It's, it's, it's Midian, it's Ephah, it's Sheba, verse 6, uh, Kidar, Nebaioth, verse 7, Tarshish, that's probably Spain. So things from Spain will come. I guess Tapas, uh, Lebanon, verse 13, the coastlands, again, that's, that's the farthest reach of the world. The coastlands will come. Every single tribe, language, people, and nation will bring in their wealth. A lot of people think that missions, that foreign missions is imperialistic. It's like cultural imperialism. And you're taking uh, Western things and you're putting them on these uh, tribes and forcing them into a Western mindset. But, But good missions is exactly the opposite. It's drawing out the potentialities, the beauty of every single culture, every natural resource on earth, and bringing them into the new Jerusalem. It unlocks all the glory of the world. See, it wasn't enough for God to simply be glorious. Uh, He had to make a creation that could reflect him, like a diamond with a trillion different sides, facets, that show his glory in different ways. That's why he made people so different. And the earth so diverse. And if you want to know why you were born, and if you want to know how to bless the world, uh, I would say that you don't need to seek some great project in life, like my friend. You don't need to figure out how you can help the maximum number of people. You don't even need to try to perfect yourself. What you need to do is you need to radiate God. You need to glorify God. Figure out how to do that. Figure out how to shine with him and thrill in him and exult in him. And let him draw out all those hidden potentialities in you. And then you will bless the world. You'll reflect him. There's apparently a mirror in Bolivia. I just typed in biggest mirror in the world. 4,000 square miles, 4,000 square miles, and it's not man-made. It's a, it's a lake that is one inch deep of salt water, um, and you can see it from the sky. It's so big, and, it, it, and there are all these photos of people who are taking, they're taking pictures of themselves and their reflections off this lake. It's, it's amazing the things you can do with this lake, but uh, my point here is that um, that we are to be that lake and reflect God's glory. And that he himself came to earth and entered our darkness to, uh, to shine. You know, that, the whole prophecy is about this moment where suddenly the glory of the Lord will, will rise upon the earth. And, and that happened, Christians believe that happened um, on Christmas morning. That that's when the glory broke across the earth. And that's when... Um, God chose to enter the dark world and actually to be destroyed by the darkness uh, in order that we could glorify him, in order that we could see his glory. And I think there's, uh, C.S. Lewis said that the uh, only object uh, that, you, that, you, that you look upon that is more glorious than, than a human being uh, is the, the body and blood of Christ. Now, I don't know if I would agree with that, but I do know that there is glory here at this table that um, is hard to see. It's not like the glory of the temple in Jerusalem um, where you would have seen the actual glory cloud of God, uh, the Shekinah glory. It's not that kind of glory. It's a little more hidden, but it's here. It's in this bread and wine. It's not just in the bread and wine, though. It's in the whole drama we're about to participate in. Um, We're about to celebrate something that is at the heart of what the glory of God is like. Uh, That on the night he was betrayed, uh, Jesus took bread... And he said, uh, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup 
And he said, this is my blood shed for you. And so whenever uh, we eat the bread and whenever we drink from the cup, uh, we are once again radiating the glory of God. The glory of God is pouring out uh, upon all of us right now through this supper. Um, this is a way to enter into his presence uh, in, the, in the fullest extent of glory. And I know that uh, some of you right now are wondering, should I come and partake this meal? And I would say two things. On the one hand, um, you know, don't disqualify yourself because you feel like you don't have enough faith. It's not about how much faith you have. Um, it's not about the strength of you at all. It's about whether you want to glorify God. And that's really the only criteria. Um, you know, if you're not sure that you believe in these things, if you're not really sure there is glory up here, and you're wondering about these um, basic truths of Christianity, uh, then we want to free you up to not partake. I don't, I don't want anyone to be pressured to come up here. I want everyone